This is the East Trauma Cast. Trauma Cast. With your moderators, Kevin Pei from the Yale School of Medicine, Dave Morris from Intermountain Medical Center in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Matt Martin from Madigan Army Medical Center. This program brought to you by the online education section of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma, Advancing Science, Fostering Relationships, and Building Careers. Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. This is Matt Martin, Chair of the East Online Education Committee. Today, we have a really special trauma cast. For those of you who weren't able to attend the recently completed 2017 Annual Scientific Assembly, one of the major themes of the meeting was firearms, firearms injuries, firearms injury research, and firearms injury prevention strategies. One of the special events that was held was a screening of the documentary Newtown, What Remains After All is Lost, on Tuesday night, January 10th. As I'm sure most of you are aware, Newtown was the site of the infamous mass shooting of schoolchildren at the Sandy Hook Elementary School. We were fortunate enough to be able to screen the documentary, as well as have a post-film discussion with the director and producer of the film, Kim Snyder, as well as one of the physicians featured in the film, Dr. William Begg, who was the emergency room physician on duty that night of the shooting. I'm going to read the description of the film from the website. Filmed over the course of nearly three years, the filmmakers use unique access and never-before-heard testimonies to tell a story of the aftermath of the deadliest mass shooting of schoolchildren in American history on December 14, 2012. Newtown documents a traumatized community fractured by grief and driven toward a sense of purpose. Joining the ranks of a growing club to which no one wants to belong, a cast of characters interconnect to weave an intimate story of community resilience. It's, it's an understatement to say that, that this was an incredibly powerful film uh, that left a lot, of, a lot of raw nerves at the end. Uh, immediately after the film, we had a uh, really fantastic uh, discussion and Q&A session, again, with the, the film's director and producer, with Dr. Begg, uh, and with many of the East members in attendance. This trauma cast features the audio from that post-film discussion. I can tell you, speaking from the point of view of someone with two small children, that this film was very difficult to watch, but I think it's so important if you have any involvement in trauma care in the U.S. that you should try and see this film if you have the opportunity. I also want to particularly thank Dr. Joe Sacrin, who was instrumental in arranging uh, for this documentary to be shown, and to East President Nicole Stassen for her leadership, uh, vision, and making this event happen. This event was recorded live during the discussion and, and from several different audio sources, so please excuse uh, some slight imperfections in the audio quality and in the volume as we move between audio sources. And so now we'll join the discussion uh, the discussion is opened by East members Dr. Joe Sacrin and Dr. Jamie Coleman, who will make some brief initial comments and then introduce uh, the director, producer, Kim Snyder, and Dr. Begg. When I first saw this uh, at the U.S. Capitol uh, with uh, Kim Snyder, Dr. Begg, <laughs> we have so much gold to see here tonight, and other 
other I thought, where better than the Eastern Association for Surgery and Trauma, one of the premier organizations that care for injured patients to show this. And really it was under the leadership of President Stassen that we were able to make this happen. And we were able to make this dialogue that I'm hoping is going to start this evening, and actually you'll see will continue throughout the meeting with what maybe is an unintentional firearm injury prevention. I can't think of a better organization to have this dialogue and then to determine ways as to how we can be action-oriented in our solutions in order to reduce firearm injuries and make our communities safer. As you saw, you know, Kim and her team, Dr. Begg, they really did a phenomenal job really putting together a very thoughtful piece that was apolitical uh, and that really, I think, demonstrated a community fractured by grief and driven toward a sense of purpose. You know, they used the hashtag, we are all Newtown. And I think when Newtown happened, all of us across America were impacted no surprise that President Obama called this the worst day in his presidency. So tonight, I really appreciate having all of you in here to view this powerful documentary. And I hope this is just the start of really not only opening up a dialogue but trying to figure out how all of us as people that are caring for patients, such as those in this community, can be prevented. This is a preventable disease, and we're facing a public health crisis in our country. And as many of you in here feel, it's not just enough anymore for us to tweet out our condolences. We have to be more proactive. Our patients deserve better. So right now, my dear friend and colleague, Jamie Coleman, is going to introduce Tim Snyder and Dr. We are all Newtown. And I think we all know that. As the ones that are on the front lines, we know that the trauma does not start and absolutely does not end in our trauma base and in our operating rooms. It continues past just our patients. The effects of it are exponential. And not only are we, are we all in Newtown, we are East. This is why we are here. Not only treat the patients that are in front of us to but to prevent the 
people from becoming our patients. So I'm very proud to introduce tonight not only Dr. William Begg, who's an emergency room physician in Newtown, and on December 14, 2012, he was on duty at the local ER and served as the local EMS director for the patients from the Sandy Hook school tragedy. We're also honored to have Kim Snyder here, who's an award-winning filmmaker and producer. In 2016, with Newtown, she won at the Crescent Butte Film Festival and was also nominated for the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance Film Festival. Thank you all for our attendance tonight, and we open for discussion. Kim, would you like to start with your comments? Thank you. Good evening. Well, I just really want to thank you. This is uh, incredible that this is a, we've traveled since Sundance, which was almost a year ago, um, for 11 months with this film. and. This is so special tonight because um, I'm, I'm just so thankful that all of you who uh, do this kind of work would take the time so late at night to come and sort of bear witness to what we've done for, for three or four years in Newtown. I'm so thankful to my friend, Dr. Bill Begg, um, for uh, his conviction and for traveling um, so much. We, you know, I really want to, to hear your thoughts, but this is special because we've been traveling to general audiences around the country. And the idea has been, as you can imagine, um, people see the film and they have a range of emotions, as I'm sure you do, of uh, what can we do? I'm angry. Uh, if nothing changed after Newtown, nothing will. And um, we always say that we think the conversation actually has changed, um, but maybe not in ways that one can just hang over on one bill in, in Congress. Um, so uh, it's just, this is the first time that we can sort of see in, in what Bill sometimes says about um, conversation changing in this constituent. And, and the idea of our impact campaign with the film is to redefine victim as community and to really look at the ripple effects and to try to provide a tool to um, lift up the voices of medical professionals, of first responders, of teachers, and these, these uh, entire traumatized communities that people might not think about as much. So um, with that, I'll let Bill say some, some moments. And, I want to thank everyone for this opportunity to speak before your colleagues at a national symposium. It should represent the pinnacle of someone's career, and it does, but I never thought the view would look like this. Gun violence is a public health issue. We made great strides, but we have so much further to go. And my opinion is this. 
We can be proactive, we can be reactive. On the reactive side of the equation, we've done unbelievably good things. Think about it. We develop healthcare systems to efficiently take care of patients, their gunshot victims, emergency management systems where we drill and are prepared for that awful day that may come, active shooter drills. We have the top surgeons in our country that continually decrease the mortality and morbidity when treating gunshot victims. We've done a great job at reacting. The opportunity is to be proactive. We've already made some strides on that end too. Before the Sandy Hook experience, you could, I, I couldn't speak about this issue proactively. It was unacceptable. In fact, I almost lost my job for speaking out. I almost lost my job and I basically said to the board members that I'm going to be respectful but as I said in the movie I'm not being quiet. What I did learn is not to take a political viewpoint but to think what what is what can I talk about? I can talk about what's medically appropriate. This public health issue and where I've carved out an area of opportunity is drawing my experiences to what can be done because there's there's a huge vacuum. So when I testified, one of the things that the centers prepped me for is they said, geez, you know, Bill, you, you don't have a lot of empiric data. So that's going to be an issue. I said, well, no, that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about that we don't have empiric data. That I had a reference when I testified in 2013, I had a reference data from the early 1990s. I had a reference data from Australia and Europe. And that's what I said to the center. It said, gun violence research has the lowest amount of resources going to it and the fewest publications. A JAM article came out last week saying the same thing. So that's a huge area of opportunity. The biggest thing that you can do besides increasing the, the research is somehow position yourself to tell the story of what you are seeing. Probably the, I've, I've dedicated my medical life to doing that. I will testify quietly as I can before any local, municipal, state, or U.S. opportunity. And there's public hearings all the time. But probably the best example where I made lemonade out of lemons was early this year. Both of the city U.S. senators from Connecticut and my congresswoman who were at the state capitol rolling out their initiative on how they wanted to increase research dollars in our country. So I rearranged my schedule. I went up to the state capitol, got there early, dressed up, introduced myself to all the senators, the congressmen, who kind of knew me, said, listen, I treat gun violence victims, and I thank you, thank you for what you're doing. So at the press conference, they start talking, referencing Dr. Begg. So what do you think one of the reporters says? They said, well, you know, folks, we've heard enough from these elected officials. Let's see, hear what Dr. Begg has to say. I'm sitting in the audience. So I get up and I related a story, HIPAA compliant, and what do you think makes the six-pack news? And I asked, I asked the reporter, why me? They said, because we've heard the same sound bites. We want it. You created a connection. So again, I'm humbled to be here. 
happy to answer any questions, but you truly hold the key by being proactive, by doing research, and everything you're doing. So thank you for this opportunity. Congress Mitter Senators about their viewpoints. Yes. And one of the things that I think sets my hometown of Newtown, Connecticut aside is after the tragedy, we formed many different groups that are still actively working on changing laws and the culture in our country. And one of the things that one of our groups does, in particular Sandy Hook Promise, is they take the time to speak with representatives on both sides of the aisle. Similarly, my, my group, Sandy Hook Ride, we ride every year from Newtown on our bicycles to Washington, D.C. and have the opportunity to speak. There's literally multiple groups, and that's the, that's the key. It's not only speaking to those who have like opinion, but those who there's an area of opportunity. So especially if you're from a state where your representative or center is on the fence or they have an opposing viewpoint, there's multiple opportunities to speak with them. The, the, the best time is not when they're speaking before Congress. They every weekend come home and they have literally like sometimes 10 people at some coffee stand they're talking at. And, and, and that's your opportunity to speak to them and relate your experiences. And if you saw in the movie, many of those senators had actually committed in principle to making some decisions to vote for common sense legislation background checks and at the last minute flip. But it was because of those conversations. So you hold the key, you can actually make a difference in your home states. Yeah, I was just gonna say, you know, we found that the film is playing, um, it's playing well in politically diverse places. So that's, that's um, hopeful. And um, I think what we've also learned, we, you know, we really wanna reach gun owners with this film. I, you know, we've had, uh, I was just uh, in Tallahassee this morning actually, and they had screened it recently and, and the mayor there told me that there was, a, there was a gentleman that got up and said he was an NRA member and that you know, this was gonna reach more guys like him. So that's, that's part of our goal is to really use this and take it out of the, you know, the polarized political space and put it into a human space, put it into a space of, of uh, public health, or reframing it as a public health issue. I just wanted to follow up. I guess, you know, we deal with gun violence every single day, a lot of us. And you know, we get this, and you know, 20 children who shot and killed by guns, you know, when you show this documentary out to the public, you know, they need to see, I guess, the other side, that there are people who think that, you know, this shouldn't change any of the laws that we have now. And I, I guess my question is more about, you know, does, do we need another documentary on you know, the other side of how they see it and why they, I mean, just to make people realize that there's actually people out there who think it's okay with the way we are today. I think there are, have been a lot of, of, of films that do this sort of, you know, 2020 thing. Um, so th this was not that, you know, this was really purely about um, getting inside of one community after the cameras have gone, what happens two and three and four years later, because the, as we know, the news cycle is just so quick that, um, you know, my sense was the best thing that I could do was to try to break through desensitization um, by um, just bearing witness to to what was the 
the worst shooting of uh, mass shooting of school children in, in American history. So, I think the best opportunity for movies going forward is, as Kim has done, let you make the final decision of what has to be done. Using words like gun control or vilifying folks who um, appreciate the Second Amendment is not the way to go. Highlighting the name of the shooter and talk about him like it's a CSI event is not the way to go. It's really looking at the communities, the after effects, weeks, months, years later. I think that's the key to really making a connection with society, and Kim's definitely started that, uh, that process. Thank you uh, for that very moving film. My name is Adil Haider. I'm a trauma surgeon from Boston, and I also work at a research shop called the Center for Surgery and Public Health. And my question to both of you, since you have such great, it was such a great idea to move the conversation to talk about communities, you're talking about research dollars. Um, there are many researchers in here who do very phenomenal trauma research. Maybe from what you've heard from your travels, what are some maybe important topics that you think we need to be looking at? Even, you know, we're, we're trauma surgeons, so we're scrappy. We can get by with, with little stuff. Um, so what are things that you think we need to look at now before the research dollars flow, which hopefully they'll flow? So I think the question is, you know, what can you do now and what opportunities there are? Is that we, so there, there's things I can talk to you behind the scenes about where there's um, things that you can do that are somewhat uh, mainstream and there's things that are fairly controversial. Uh, there's legal folks out there who are looking towards um, um, legal opportunities they have never spoke to a trauma surgeon, and they, when they're trying to make their legal arguments to afford changes, what they desperately need and they can never find is a trauma surgeon who's actually willing to talk on, not their political viewpoints, but what an actual trauma victim looks like. I, I spoke with some folks just literally twice this past week. They cannot find a trauma surgeon who's willing to talk about the difference between injuries when someone has a military-style weapon that they were shot with versus a regular handgun. They, they can't find anyone. And there's a lot of changes that they would be able to afford if they had someone who was willing to do so. So that's just one opportunity that's potentially out there. Uh, and then, so by putting yourself out there um, in different opportunities, those opportunities will find you. I will just caution you, again, I, I never use the word gun control. You immediately turn off half of society when you say that. I never vilify those who have opposing viewpoints or join organizations that may have different viewpoints. And I maybe this is a question for you. I mean, you're sitting here in, in Florida, and uh, you know what a, what a terrible thing that, that this, this conference is happening here only days after yet another uh, another terrible shooting. And you know, I'm a layperson to to a lot of this, but I am curious about. I was having a conversation with a, with a gentleman upstate New York, um, a more conservative part of New York, where I live in Manhattan. And um, he told me, you know, he was a, a gun owner, and we had some differences of opinion, but it was a super polite, uh, constructive conversation about arming teachers or not arming teachers. And um, he told me that it was the first time in, in, uh, ever recently that he had had a checkup and that his doctor had asked him if he had a gun. 
And so um, I'm really curious about that piece of it here in Florida, because I understand where the laws are different. Um, just an example of just being proactive, probably a little over the top, but you probably have heard of the case of a Florida pediatrician who was speaking about uh, the public health issue of gun violence, along with other public health issues in their office, and asking about safety of the guns, and then was uh, targeted, um, even uh, charges were brought against that particular person. And so this is the type of um, opportunity that I see, in fact, the state of South Carolina was going to have a similar law, and I heard about that. I'm not joking. What I did is I actually contacted CNN, and I said to the, I said to, to the producers, I said, I'm willing to go on CNN and actually debate that person, that senator from South Carolina who wants to have a law that would prevent doctors from talking about gun violence issues. So they actually set that up, and the night before I was supposed to go on, that uh, senator from South Carolina backed out. So this is a little over the top, but that's the type of mindset that I have. Um, again, you have to be respectful. And actually, I've absolutely spoken with president of my hospital and CEOs of physician. I've spoken with um, some board members and also the head of public relations about what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, what's kind of right in line. Because you, you can't just go rogue and start talking. I'm just, you, you can't far off the beaten path because then you put yourself in hospital risk. So I'm not advocating that. So work with your colleagues offline to work with that. I think where I was going with that partly is that, um, you know, Dan Webster from, from John Hopkins, who we were partnering with that center in some ways for the film, um, had said something interesting when we screened it in Baltimore, which is with, with I think, two-thirds of gun deaths or suicide, right? But that his research shows that that's an interesting way in, in terms of getting sort of beyond the choir. And so I wonder if there's an opportunity in this room in you know, focusing, especially in the more rural places, um, that that may be their empathetic sort of connection, I think. It's interesting Kim mentions that because I think the most Powerful soundbite I've had, which has been picked up every time I mention in the public arena, is the following statistic. If you are trying to make the decision to purchase a gun, and you do so, it's certainly acceptable, and the Second Amendment gives you the opportunity and the like. But you should know that if you purchase a gun, you're at least five times more, more likely to die of suicide than kill some rogue intruder, you're at least five times more likely to kill your wife than kill the intruder, and you're at least ten times more likely to have your child kill themselves rather than kill the intruder. If you add on a prior history of alcohol abuse or domestic abuse, that number goes up exponentially high. So again, I would never say you can't buy a gun, because that's, I don't believe that, but I do think that and potential public service announcement down the road would be informing people that's what the real data suggests. My name is Alex Eastman. I'm the chief of trauma surgery at a big urban level one trauma center in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I'm also a um, nearly full-time law enforcement officer. I'm a member of the Dallas Police Department SWAT team and on 
July 7th, while my partners were working their asses off in the hospital, it's um, in the middle of a couple of gunfights and standoff, and I've been there. I've been um, in a gunfight where I was outgunned. Um, so I feel like I've got a relatively unique perspective in the room. I, I will tell you, and then I'll ask you, I, I think we're on the wrong track. This is not and can't be about hashtags and bike rides and mud runs and legislation. And I mean, if you look now, you look at the results we've had, this isn't working. What we're doing, having a, whether intentionally or unintentionally, a polarizing debate and staking out your issue like that polarizes the debate. That doesn't work. We know that from the law enforcement arena because going into a community of color and staking out your positions doesn't work. You have to do the hard work of sitting down across from you from someone who, at the least, you don't understand and at the most you despise. And you have to sit down and you have to find that first step and that common ground. And then the two of you have to walk together. And that may be a very, very small step. But I think you have to look no further than our communities that have our most restrictive gun regulations to see that gun laws in their present format don't work. They don't work. And so I would ask you, give me an outside-the-box step, because if we continue to do this, we're going to have 26 people killed in an elementary school and not a single piece of meaningful legislation passed after that at the federal level. That's not working. So I think we've got to do something else. I, I do agree that, that it's about having conversations, opening up. I mean, that is hopefully part of what the film can do, is to have people sit at dinner tables and have civil discourse. And, and I did that in this car with this man from, from Albany. You know, he believed teachers should be armed in every school. I didn't. Um, but we agreed on certain things. You know, he believes in background checks. Um, so I think that this idea that it's so polarized that no one can agree on everything, I don't know if I, I believe that. I believe that people have very uh, gray and, 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 and lots of different, but, but I did say to him, wouldn't you want the data to make those assumptions? And he said, absolutely. I do agree also that finding common ground is absolutely the way to move forward. You cannot keep up this polarized state. I will give you an example, though, where um, while we have not changed a 30,000 gun deaths every year or two-thirds suicide, we have made some pockets of change. So, for instance, as one great example, when um, Connecticut instituted the opportunity to um, have the necessity to have a license before you purchase a gun with holding period of a few days, gun violence deaths increased by 25%. Where the state of Missouri, who had who had the licensing law, and then it was repealed, gun deaths went up by 40%. So there are some pockets of noticeable change uh, in gun deaths when you collaborate with your representatives and then legislation happens. Um, thanks uh, for bringing your film. My name is Scott Saygraves, and uh, I grew up in the Brick. I was a first responder and paramedic for years before medical school. And I went to Trinity um, College. And that class uh, in the shadow of the dome of both firearms, which if I remember right, was one of the 
persecutors of the Jews, the Jews. And can you give the audience some tips on advocacy you use because Connecticut obviously had this tragic event, but Hope Firearms is initiated in the state capitol there to get them to pause we as physician surgeons, you probably are aware from your classroom, really weren't taught advocacy, really weren't taught how to approach your state legislature, how do you how do you give us some give us some tips on absolutely so not only do we have Code 45 in Connecticut, but but in the center of Newtown is uh, one of the biggest um, second largest uh, gun gun uh, groups in the country and so a couple tips that, that I've learned again I mentioned there's opportunities where your congressmen and senators are around uh, and you have an opportunity to, to speak with them uh, that are low-lying fruit where they're not well publicized Probably one of the biggest opportunities that was created for me when you saw Mr. Wheeler speak before the Connecticut uh, General Assembly, um, and that was an open forum. I also spoke, and let me tell you, I gave it to them, to the senators and the representatives, and I said, "You're listening to us, but you're going to go back and you're going to vote along party lines." And I said, "I'm asking just once, on behalf of the patients of the state of Connecticut." and make a decision what's right for the patients. And I was really passionate. And don't you know, of all the people that testified, that got picked up and like that night I was on national TV. So there's opportunities, there's open forums all the time at your state capitals or in your areas where you can speak. You, you get three minutes, maybe five, and you don't understand how impactful. I mean, all of a sudden the legislative center is going to want to call you want your opinion. I had a great presentation on uh, uh, criteria for trauma alerts based on stab wounds. You get so many opportunities and that's where they're starting. Hi, Allison Wilson, University uh, Trauma Surgeon. The movie was very different than what I anticipated and I thank you uh, for this group. You know, we deal with loss and life and life-threatening injuries on the day-to-day -day as our norm. And so in some ways, sometimes we can become very insulated and callous because that's what we do every day. And what I think their movie brought to was, again, the humanistic side. And the thing, the, the implications of that lost life, whether that's from gun violence, whether that's from knife violence, whether that's from assault, whether that's from the impaired driving, and you brought a very human side to that long-lasting implication on not only the family but all those around and I'm a parent too who lost a child lost due to illness and to be able to hold your child in your arms when they die brings to you a sense of peace your movie brings concept to the forefront again for all our families who don't have that opportunity and have those unanswered questions, no matter what the cause. 
And I actually think you've done a good service by not politicizing it. And uh, you can reach, as you've said, more in the audience. But I think particularly to medical people, bring a real reality to, you know, we walk in and tell the family, we did everything, it's what we did, we know what's going to happen, and then say the words, but I'm sorry, they didn't survive. And there'll be the moment we sit there with the tissues and then the chaplain's there. And then we walk out and we go on to the next patient. And I think some of the things that I took away from this, right in my experience, brings it home more, is that we've changed their lives forever. And we have a responsibility to do it with grace. And we have a responsibility to understand how that affects all others in that family and in those people's schools and environments. And so I hope this not only energizes the discussion on this particular issue, but also so many other things that seem to get kicked by the wayside. Texting and driving, drunk driving, all these other things that cause loss of innocent life. In the end, it's loss of life. Thank you so much for your words. And thank you. I so much appreciate what my colleague was talking about. We're so insulated. We're taught to put up that Teflon shield and no, show no emotions. I never, ever, ever cried or shed a tear in my practice. 87 was the first time I saw a gunshot victim in New York City. And it was 25 years later of never shedding a tear, moving on to the next patient. And that's when I truly said, Enough is enough. I am not taking this laying down for exactly the 25 years that I kept it bottled up inside. And so thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I have the exact same feeling here. I mean, as you say that, it occurs to me as lay people, uh, non-medical people, you know, we hear in our lives that, there, that, 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 that you all have to develop that. But I think what's happened is the entire system has developed that same callousness of just not being able to absorb this anymore because it's happening so often and um, so I'm Ronnie Stewart uh, from Pennsylvania, Texas uh, most of the terror that the American College of and trauma for, I mean, for 30 years We've really worked on this. We've worked on it from several different angles. The past, certainly two to three years, we've uh, we've really started internally and, and uh, tried to develop a quality conversation inside the with respect to fire major detention. First of all, I want to compliment you on a, uh, a really beautiful. Uh, Allison said it a lot better than I could, but. I, I think the film is important because it does bring the human element and uh, in a really largely apolitical way. And, and I think even if it was political, I still think it is it, it, it's, a, it's a message that uh, needs to be delivered. The, uh, I've probably had discussions 
with people on what I call both sides of the narrative can probably, I don't know. I mean, I would bet probably more than anybody in the United States, but that may not be true. Uh, but certainly from a medical standpoint, I've, I've had discussions, uh, conversations with people uh, who absolutely abhor guns and think they should all be eliminated, and people who are, are tried and true NRA believers in the principle. And, uh, and, and I'm just going to say what, 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 they, what, what y'all don't agree upon. They don't agree upon freedom, the, 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 the role of firearms and freedom, and they don't agree on benefit of firearms. The two different, pretty fundamentally different perspectives with respect to guns and freedom and guns and benefit. But if you can get past that, which is not too hard to do, uh, once you get past that, there's a tremendous amount that people agree upon. Uh, and so, and, and I will echo what, uh, what, what, what you said, that uh, we should stop using the word gun control. We, I'll just put it in simple terms. We didn't use car control in the 1960s to, to develop uh, safer vehicles. Uh, and if we would have, uh, we probably wouldn't have been that popular. And the reason why people don't mind using gun control is because there's about a third of people who basically can't imagine owning a firearm, and they don't mind using the word gun control. And that's perfectly fine. The problem is there's at least 50% of people who feel exactly the opposite, and there's another uh, you know, 20% who lean that direction. So I think you're spot on. And I'm going to say we independently came to that conclusion ourselves, so we, we, we're basically working on fire injury prevention, which is exactly what we're doing. For those who, who are to the right side of this issue, we're working on fire injury prevention. The, uh, but I guess I'm more positive than most. Uh, you know, th- this film understandably has a sad note to it, a really tragic But I will say that concerning this issue, in spite of how you might feel, how we might feel about where we sit currently with respect to uh, lack of dialogue in our society from a political standpoint, I I believe that uh, if we actually have a good conversation with people who who are my colleagues, I know that I have colleagues the person in the middle, I know that I have colleagues who feel really strongly on one side and strongly on the other, but really it's about firearms and freedom and the benefit of firearms. It's not about what, if we can talk about reducing firearm injury and eliminating needless death and suffering and how we can work together to do that creatively and I, I'm just saying I believe that this, this film you know, would resonate with, uh, with people the strongest believers of people in, in the NRA. But if we focus on trying to change people's that, people's mind with respect to freedom and benefit, it's, 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 
pretty entrenched that we can focus on reducing injury and getting people talking together and working together, I believe we can actually make a significant dent. I agree, and thank you for that. And I think that my opinion is that we need new um, catalysts for this dialogue. And I think that this, that um, I think that you and your colleagues, I think people in this room, I think people need to hear more from their clergy on grounds of moral outrage about this. I think people need to hear from their medical professionals in a very apolitical way about this as a public. I think that's the way in. I think that we've been, as you said, hearing too much in this kind of polarized spectrum politically. And um, I'm, just not, to, I'm not trying to change your mind either. I'm really not. But I'm just going to I'm here. I have a mic. So just to echo those. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm going to say that, that I want you to just kind of think about it. Using the term outrage uh, is exactly the opposite what I'm talking about is that is that is the, is the, and I actually I don't I don't mind outrage for my I want you to be clear I don't I, I I feel a sense of outrage but what I know uh, similar to what uh, Alex said earlier is if I were going to do a bicycle helmet campaign in rural South Texas in a poor underserved area in rural South Texas that I know that if I go to that community and engage the community with sympathetic, uh, engaging, teamwork building, let's talk, let's, let's, let's try to figure out what we can do, I know that I'm going to have much more success than if I put on my white coat and tell them how upset I am that there's a high injury death rate. And I, I agree with that, and I think... Um, this is an example. Uh, when I was asked in a public forum out on the West Coast, uh, Dr. Begg, uh, just tell me your views on gun control and your political viewpoints. I, I said, the reporter, I said, your question is somewhat disrespectful and off base. I said, because when you, when you try to tag a healthcare provider with the word gun control, you're showing disrespect to half of our country. So I'm going to ask you to rephrase the question. And I said, if you're asking about a public health issue, gun violence and I don't Well, don't you know, that was like the sound bite of the conference. Because you're correct, we cannot use the word control right. I, I want to just take this moment to thank Dr. Sacrin and Dr. Stassi, because you are on the right side of history. You had the courage, courage to have this as a topic of conversation. And it's not and a lot of forums and, and, and the like. So thank you very much. And when we look back on this conference in, in 20 years, we're going to realize, wow, there are some really pro, uh, proactive people that really had vision to understand this. So I want to thank you. Do you have closing comments? Just a general comments about mental health, at least from my perspective. Um, Mental health is definitely a big, big part of the equation and has to be uh, looked at so we can have more money, not only for preventing uh, gun violence from those who have mental health issues, possibly background checks and the like, but also mental health for the communities that are affected by gun violence after. The fact remains, though, 
the fact remains that we relatively have the same percentage of mental health issues in our country as we do in all other developed countries, generally. Yet we have anywhere from five to 25 to 50 times the number of deaths per capita. So gun, I, I truly think, in fact, I even testified for the US Senate that some of my colleagues in the Senate said that they said it's all mental health. And I said, I predict that the sequesters tomorrow, you're gonna to decrease funding. So yes, mental health, but it's, it's, as some of my other colleagues said, it's very much more complicated. Just close by thanking you again and um, really welcoming to find, we're gonna be around tomorrow to find us. Um, if you have any ideas about how to use this, I know we wanna reach um, other, other audiences like this, medical schools, uh, violence prevention centers, and so um, really open to hearing anything you you have constructive to, to, to add. Thank you so much. So in closing, thank you all for coming at this late hour. And definitely thank you, Kim and Dr. Bank, for bringing us this movie. But if we all leave here just starting a conversation and thinking about the impact all of trauma has on our communities. We and that wraps up another edition of TraumaCast, brought to you by the online education section of the Eastern Association for the Surgery of Trauma. You can check out all of the great educational and career development resources available on the East website at www.east.org. And make sure you subscribe to the TraumaCast series so you don't miss any of our exciting upcoming programs and interviews. So if you're searching for cutting-edge science and research, professional education, networking and building relationships, and career development, remember that all you need to do is look to the East. Mm -hmm.